Welcome back to Perfect Pitch with Nick Healy Hutchinson and his fresh approach to the world of classical music. Whether you're an expert or a beginner, old or young, Perfect Pitch has something for everyone. Pub quiz question for the music category. What unenviable event do all of these great composers have in common? Gershwin, Mendelssohn, Bizet, Purcell, Mozart, Schubert, Chopin. The unfortunate answer is that, along with Otto Nicolai, whose name is not quite as familiar as those, they all suffered premature deaths before the age of 40, many, if not all, through exhaustion or overwork. If you'd been around in early 19th century Vienna, you would in fact be very familiar with the name Otto Nicolai, as he was one of the top opera composers of the day, as well as being one of the founders of the Vienna Philharmonic Orchestra and, at one point, more popular than Giuseppe Verdi himself. At that time, Italian was still the predominant language for opera, until Karl Maria von Weber finally broke the mould, so all of Nicolai's operas were written in Italian, except for one in German, which no doubt explains why it's the one opera for which he is now most famous in Germany. The literally titled Die Lustige Weiber von Windsor, to give it its native title, the Merry Wives of Windsor to the rest of us, is a work based on the Shakespeare comedy, telling of the rather hopeless courting exploits of Sir John Falstaff. The overture, which is now often played as a standalone concert piece, contains a number of the melodies in the opera, opening with a moonrise over Windsor, which is actually the closing part of the opera, but then slowly leads us to a far happier theme, offset temporarily by a reminder of the dumpy Falstaff, before everyone joins in to round off a very uplifting passage. The overture is played here by the Leipzig Gewandhaus Orchestra, conducted by Kurt Mazur.
If I was being super picky, I'd say that Nikolai stretches the closing bars rather longer than necessary. But otherwise, I think that's a really decent composition, with smatterings of Mendelssohn and Weber thrown into the mix, as well as a touch of Viennese waltz. And even with those brief tutti moments, that's when everybody's together, with those cymbal participations, a hint of the music to come from Arthur Sullivan, as in Gilbert And, who didn't follow all that much later. I'm not quite sure how we get from that to this, but that's often how these podcasts go. There's definitely an emphasis on the ladies this week, as we'll see, and I, for one, am going to enjoy that, as I hope will you. There are two love stories in La Boheme, Puccini's opera, the one between Mimi and Rodolfo being at the heart of the opera, but there's another equally charged, if not as tragic, between his friend Marcello and that man's on-and-off love with Musetta. At the beginning of Act Two, they're all in the local café, when Musetta rocks up with her new and much older admirer, of whom she's clearly bored, so she makes a very thinly disguised taunt in the background towards Marcello, with this perfectly delicious tune, after which she's made it abundantly clear that he's still the man for her. His original frustration with a woman capitulates as he picks up her tune at the end, and the result is inevitable. Sometimes speaking your mind can get you into trouble, other times, like this, it's exactly what's needed to get the right result. This wonderful recording comes from a live performance in 2016 from the Gran Teatro del Liceo in Barcelona. Olga Kulczynska makes Musetta's feeling known to Gabriel Bermudez as Marcello. The not-so-little scream towards the end, by the way, is not some kind of exaggerated swoon, but Musetta's way of pretending that her shoe is hurting and demanding that her older admirer makes himself scarce to go and get a new pair before she can concentrate properly, not on her foot, but on the matter in hand.
Elizabeth I chided Francis Drake for not speaking his mind about his intentions to a woman, with the words, Faint heart never won fair lady. Well, the boot, or in this case more accurately the shoe, was certainly on the other foot here. It's time to come down to earth after all that heady stuff. As we listen together today on Remembrance Weekend in the UK, it's impossible not to be mindful of the untold suffering being meted out by humanity to humanity all around the world. One of the astonishing and rewarding things to me about this podcast is that I wake up to find people who have been listening in the strangest and most unlikely of places, including Ukraine and Israel. This is not the place, nor ever will it be, 
to pass comments on matters geopolitical or local to this country. But I hope these couple of minutes of music can convey what most decent people believe. Oft in the Stilly Night is a Scottish air written by the Irishman Tom Moore. It has two verses, and I'm going to read you the words first, not by way of passing comment on the wonderful diction of the singer, just so that you can subject yourself to the sound of the music in full knowledge of what it is conveying. Oft in the stilly night, ere slumber's chain has bound me, fond memory brings the light of other days around me. The smiles, the tears of boyhood's years, the words of love then spoken, the eyes that shone now dimmed and gone, the cheerful hearts now broken. Thus in the stilly night, ere slumber's chain hath bound me, sad memory brings the light of other days around me. When I remember all the friends so linked together, I've seen around me fall like leaves in wintry weather. I feel like one who treads alone some banquet hall deserted, whose lights are fled, whose garlands dead, and all but he departed. Thus, in the stilly night, ere slumber's chain has bound me, sad memory brings the light of other days around me. Now I hope that you have the idea of the sentiments within the text. Let's listen to them, set to music by John Stevenson, sung here by the Argentinian soprano Valeria Mignaco, accompanied by Yelma van Almersfoot on the guitar. Oh! 
I mentioned earlier how today's episode was one which has turned out to have a female emphasis. We started with The Merry Wives of Windsor, followed by Musetta's taunting and capturing of Marcello, then that gorgeous song. We're going to conclude today with a very weighty finale of what's widely recognised to be one of the most fiendish piano concertos ever written, Rachmaninoff's third. Rachmaninoff had enormous hands and, as a result, was probably blissfully unaware sometimes of the challenges he would demand of his soloists. The second may be the most popular, but the third, premiere with a composer at the keyboard in 1909, is a monumental work. It calls upon every single skill required of a pianist, and many are just not up to the task. But as you can imagine, there's still a vast range of recordings to choose from. Good technique is an obvious prerequisite, because challenges there are a plenty. But it also requires a touch which can bring menace, tension in one moment, and tenderness the next. A proper understanding of rhythms, and when it's right to follow them rigidly, or at times take a free rein, and then a tip-top physical stamina. Finally, a bit of well-crafted, not overt, stage presence can be a help. And if you go online, you will see that the soloist here, Yu Jia Wang, has that in spades. Sometimes, in fact often, it's hard to find the right words about the music. At the risk of sounding trite, this concerto has everything, and the closing couple of minutes, when the soloist prepares us with a few bars, which to me almost sound like a horse gathering its hooves before a final charge, are completely riveting. It's also a fitting way to leave us feeling optimistic. Yu Zha Wang is joined here by the Vienna Philharmonic Orchestra, conducted by Gustavo Dudamel.
that's it for this week. Nick will be back again soon. Please rate and comment on any of the previous episodes, and if you like what you hear, take a moment to press the follow button, as it helps to spread the word.